What's interesting about technology? Nothing really, except it's changing the way we connect, right? It is changing the way we as humans connect. It's changing the possibilities we can connect. It's changing the amount of connectivity you can have and also the types of connectivity you can have, which is, I found really interesting. And so then I put all my energy into saying that's the interesting thing because when we connect, that's when we learn, that's when we create, and that's when we change through connection, right? Come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. Dr. Kynan Robinson is the founder of the renowned NRUS Consultancy with offices in the U.S. and Australia and clients on every continent. Early in his educational career, Kynan won Educational Leader of the Year in Australia, as well as winning the School Specialization Grant for Transforming How Schools Interact with Technology and a bunch of other things. Okay, hang on. He's a keynote speaker. He is doing work that is literally changing school systems everywhere. He's been featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, ABC Radio National, the Age Newspaper, Inspire Magazine, the Australian, the Sun, and everywhere and anywhere. He's an award-winning cross. Okay, it's killing you. There's all, I mean, this bio is extensive. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. Nice. You missed out the fact that I'm a musician. That's the most interesting part of it. <laughs> oh, that especially around creativity, because whenever I think about music, I definitely think about creativity. Is that when you are your most creative is when you're writing or, or working on music? When I'm the most creative is when I'm connected to other human beings. Like, like that's a really great leading question, what you just asked there. And it actually does tie in really nicely with, with the music stuff because the way we see creativity or the way like um, my PhD actually focused on what is creativity and essentially I redefined it away from being something that individuals do. Like creativity is not, it's not a trait. It's not something I can teach you. I'm not necessarily more creative than you or you more creative than me. So it's not like that. Essentially what creativity is, is, is a connected process. It's a social process. And so it's deeply tied to connectivity of human beings really is really what it's about so how that ties into music is like if you think about music am i most creative when i'm making music i'm most creative when i'm making music as a collective experience rather than just sitting in my bedroom making music (laughs) does that make sense yeah that's interesting to me as an author right because i'm always trying to find ways when you're writing to become more creative right to tap into like that flow that we're looking for But I find that's when I'm alone somewhere, sitting on a beach at a beautiful place that ideas kind of come more readily to me. What does that mean? Yeah, and I guess that's that's not talking about like being alone. I talk about essentially like maybe alone together, being alone together. Even when you're alone, you're super connected. So when you're writing, it's not like these are just your original thoughts all coming through. It's like the hyper-connectivity of all of your network, like when you're alone, you're allowing all that hyperconnectivity to find its place, but it's the hyperconnectivity which has actually caused the creativity, if, if that makes sense. That does make sense to me. And when you're talking about this idea of connection, it's so timely right now with mm. COVID. And, and you and I, as we were just talking before as keynote speakers and we're alone on Zoom and you're talking <laughs> about the work that you're doing, this transformational work in organizations, And how do you build trust through a computer? How much more challenging has your work become due to COVID? Super challenging, like super challenging. But it also really put like to to test a lot of the stuff that I talk about because when when I was working with 
within the school system as a, as a school leader relating back to technology. I was always like, what's interesting about technology? Nothing really except it's changing the way we connect, right? It is changing the way we as humans connect. It's changing the possibilities we can connect. It's changing the amount of connectivity you, c- you can have and also the types of connectivity you can have, which is, I found really interesting. And so then I put all my energy into saying that's the interesting thing because when we connect, that's when we learn, that's when we create and that's when we change through connection, right? All of our work previously like that we do with schools or we do with organisations, it is about like helping them to grasp that concept and so it requires a lot of trust. Like, like, like as you know, super amount of trust. Like they, you're teaching them to trust each other to work better as a team, but you also they, they need to trust you to go through this process, which can be quite emotional. And so when it when it all stopped, and suddenly it's like let's just do this via Zoom. That really put a lot of the stuff that I had been putting out publicly to test. It's like, can you do this just via this this method? I'm not saying there is like online and offline connection because I think it's all tied in together. It is just connection. But if you're just doing things purely through a technology like Zoom. My team and I worked very, very hard at learning how to do this. Like, and, and we work with clients all over the world. Like, So we just recently did a workshop with 190 government employees back in Australia and the task was for our workshop on Zoom, 190 of them, we're rebranding and we're relaunching this um, government department and we'd really like them to just come together and unite. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, here we go. And so we've been doing this for two years now and so there's ways of doing it like through the technology, like the, how you utilise the technology. But one of the ways that we do it is, and I notice you do this a lot too, is through being as vulnerable as we can with them. So straight up front, having a laugh at ourselves, saying let's not let the technology get in the way. And so even making mistakes and then pointing out the mistakes. To them. Did you see how I just made that mistake? You know, and being able to just, just being able to show them that you're a human being and you're part of the team. So like... And I say this to all my facilitators, you're not there to just guide them through a process or you're not there to show them an answer. You're there to actually be part of the team with them. So in that, you have to be as vulnerable as you're expecting them to be with you on that Zoom meeting. And so when you do that, all of a sudden you create this environment and you can create it through Zoom. You create this environment where we all just suddenly just let it all go and we just trust each other and we just have, we actually can have a laugh about it and find it changes stuff. So, you know, it's interesting, an incredibly successful company, Spanx, you know, founded by Sarah Blakely, she shared when I interviewed her, one of her reasons why she feels the company became so successful was they had these Friday oops meetings where she would lead the meeting and talk about the mistakes she made, the failure she had that week and kind of laugh at it and share it with everyone. And then they'd go around the table and every senior leader on the team would share where they fell, what ball they dropped. And that created this culture of constantly being open to innovate and try different things. And that sounds really similar to what you're talking about. Super similar. And I think like it's something that you have to model. And so it's like something that you have to take on yourself and learn how to do it. So we talk about empathy a lot. Like the empathy is flowing everywhere in the world at the moment. Being empathy. I talk about the various phases of empathy. Empathy for self, right, to understand what is it in me that is stopping me from actually hearing you, Heather? Like, what is it that's stopping me from listening to you right now? That's challenging. Being able to identify that, being able to name some of those parts and be able to go, all right, it's doing it for this and that reason. That then allows me to have empathy for you, right? Which then actually allows you to have empathy. Not allows is the wrong word, but enables you to have empathy for self and empathy for me, which then creates this space between us. As we're looking at each other right now, I can kind of feel it. The space between is the space of emergence that's where the creativity actually happens. 
But to do that, so that empathy piece, that's all about vulnerability. So the example you just gave is a really great one and it sounds to me like they do it in a really authentic way, not like a trite kind of way, but actually going, you know, like I do it with my team all the time where we model it for each other and we practice it on each other. Like we practice it like the ability to fail and fail fast is what we're really talking about. And so when we're working with clients, it is a huge jump, especially for schools. Schools, which is about perfection, 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 right? It's like what about if we created a school where we could fail and why would we fail we fail fast to learn fast and that's fantastic i love that idea yeah 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 but that takes that's a mindset shift right that is it's easy for us to say but there's so many systems in place especially in education that work they actually oppose that and so we need to model it when we're we're going in as consultants we need to be able to model it to them for them to actually see it and go ah and then for them to have an experience of it then for them to then go I now know what that feels like. We can do this. Are you tired of the stress and chaos of live launching? Who isn't, right? But if you've tried going evergreen, you know that's not the solution either. Hello, low conversions. So what's the answer? The circuit sales system is designed to make sales for you every single day while giving your audience all the excitement of live launching without you ever having to live launch again. What would increasing your current yearly revenue by 40 times look like for you? Okay, nobody's making any income guarantees here, but that's exactly what Nikki did for her business when she developed her circuit sales system. The circuit sales system is the automated system that combines the best of both live launching and evergreen with none of the worst. Think high conversions and high predictability without the chaos or risk. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalessystem.com slash confidence. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalessystem.com slash confidence. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular and it is just so easy all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website, and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you, and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized, I can do this. I can go to work for myself, thanks to Shopify What I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out 
the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge. Right now, you can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com. Dot com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. If and you know are I mean. you seeing that actually happen in schools? Oh, well, absolutely, all the time. Yeah. And I mean, especially coming out of this COVID period, like a lot of schools came to us to ask for help just unpack what happened, right? Because what happened in COVID, our education system already sets you up for isolation, right? It's about individual, 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 and it's running you through a system, right? It's already set up for like competition and isolation. COVID hits and it just isolates even further, right? So suddenly schools were saying to us, hey, you know that work that you were doing with us previously where we realised we were really disconnected and isolated, like even though they thought they might have had a good community, they actually weren't. It's just exacerbated now. Can you help? And so the work that we do with them, with the schools, with this program called Listen, Learn, Leap that we're, we're rolling everywhere is it's essentially it's a program where we get them all together, so parents, teachers, students, administration, who cares? We put them all in, the, in, the, you know, in together. We teach them how to listen to each other, right? Listen. And through the listening process, they actually start hearing, oh, you had that experience. So they don't, they stop assuming that we've all had the same experience. And through the listening process, what they're doing there is they're starting to identify like problems that have emerged. And when we find problems, it's great because like now we can innovate because now we can actually tackle that problem. But they're also finding innovation that did happen in small pockets but had just not come to the surface because they're so disconnected. When that happens, what you're allowing them to do is essentially reconnect in a conscious way where they are choosing the connected culture that they want to have going forward rather than just sort of living out some supposed connected culture that they had as a going previously. What are some of the tactics that you share with your groups and your workshops on how to be a better listener to actually hear? What are the tactics? That is a great question. I think about tactics in this way, like I also talk about empathy for self, empathy for other and empathy for process, right? So there's a variety of tools and processes that we use that we've come up with ourselves. There's also some other great ones like design thinking and like, you know, other there's other processes that are really about helping you connect essentially. And so that's that listening piece. A great 
pool is designed to do the work for you. So there's a, very, a couple of tools that we use to, just to help them learn how to listen, like how to listen properly. And then I say once you've learned the tool, then you can break it, but like just let the tool do the work for you. So the first tool is essentially we get them to interview each other. Now that sounds like, oh, yeah, we all know how to interview, but like interviewing beyond buzz of your head, like you and me, like I could feel right now that you and me are right deep into a connected because you're great at it, right? But that's a particular skill where how do I interview where empathy for me at the interviewer all I'm thinking about is like, oh my, who's this person? What's the question? Like, how do you stop that? And then how do I create a space for if I'm asking, like, well, like what you've done right now, where I feel very, very comfortable answering your questions as honestly as possible because you've created that space. Like interviewing, we, we teach them how to interview each other. That's a tool that we use to help them learn how to listen rather than learn how to ask questions. Before we actually started recording today, for a few minutes, you and I were just bantering back and forth, sharing some stories and sharing some vulnerability stories, which was not intentional. However, now with what you're teaching me, I understand that that helps us create a better connection, which then gives us more opportunity for a better discussion, you know, more space, like you're saying, more creativity, correct? Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's a tactic. Like, well done for identifying that because that's a tactic we did together before the interview started where we told some stories and we we basically, self-deprecation, I love self-deprecation. I'm Australian, so like we love self-deprecating. But as a tactic, it's a great form of humour which disarms both yourself and the other and it places you in this place of like, Ah, what does it matter? Let's just get on with it, like that kind of attitude. And I think you and I both we're both keynoters, and we're both talking about how difficult it is to to do this Zoom keynoting thing. And you, I mean, you were the one who said it. It's like you call yourself out and go, "Okay, I'm trying to be funny, and I can't see if anyone's laughing." <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Self deprecation is a funny thing, right? Because I just felt a trigger when you said self deprecation. Ah. For me, okay, when I was in my early 20s and I was in the business world in corporate America, I leveraged self-deprecation all the time. Blonde joke, blonde moment, ha ha, I'm being the ditzy blonde. It hurt me in business profoundly. And I remember someone pulling me aside and saying, hey, start speaking about yourself the way that you want others to speak about you. So for a long time, I moved away from that self-deprecating Humor. So where is that right space for self-deprecating humor and not hurting yourself? Yeah, that's a really, really fantastic question. And you know what, Heather, as I was saying that word self-deprecation, I actually was in my mind, I was like, do you use this word? Because I think, and like, so I'm really interested that you said it triggered you. Let's just change the language around because the language is not right. Okay. So that's, and then that's also like, we're now talking culture because I can say self-deprecation in Australia and it means something completely different, right? So you're right, but it's not about deprecation and it's not about like, oh, the ditzy blonde jokes, because that's like not empathy for self. That's more like placing yourself in a culture that you you are not actually you're doing what the culture is predetermining you to do oh, I better do the blonde jokes because that's what the culture tells you to do empathy for self and then empathy for space and empathy for other and all that sort of stuff is like actually self-deprecation when I can tell you something about myself where like huh yeah that's really interesting I used the wrong words then didn't I and you it triggered you that's what I'm talking about in terms of like self-deprecation but then I can turn that into a bit of a joke as well and it's not like I'm not playing a game on you. I'm actually just trying to show you more of myself. That's what I'm talking about. So, yeah, you're right. The word self-deprecation is probably bad. <laughs> it's interesting. Just because, like you said, though, that's a great point that I didn't think of, especially now because we're dealing with people in countries we never have worked with before, right? I 
definitely have spent the majority of my life in the U.S. and dealing with people in the U.S. And I'm always assuming that the same word means that same thing. And culturally, our world is so different now on Zoom. And I think that's one of the exciting things and one of the also like intimidating things in terms of language. I've done a lot of work in the field of research in terms of linguistics, like language being super important and language being something that ties you to something, but it does not necessarily like articulate what you're trying to say. The language I'm most interested in are the words that have not been invented yet. So like this can tie into like our understanding of ourselves. So, and I think what's really interesting in, this, in the culture that we live in is this move into fluidity that seems to be happening, you know, like in terms of like, let's get the pronouns right, us, he, her, she, like all this kind of stuff is very interesting evolution of language, which is showing possibility of identity, not predictability, if that makes sense. So like, mm. right, and, and that's what I'm also interested in in, reg- in regards to education. How about we create spaces? Imagine if we created a school that could be beyond a school. Okay, so there's, there's an example of language where you use the word school twice, but you use, I threw in the word beyond and suddenly you're creating possibility how might we create spaces of learning that allow for possibility not predictability suddenly in in that language you know this kind of language is like poetic language and it's the language that happens right on the fringe it's tying somewhere to like the past but it's also allowing the future to happen And, and and when you're moving across cultures it's particularly challenging and interesting to do but it's something i'm really fascinated in as well how do you articulate this using words This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, I really appreciate that you brought my awareness now to because I'm going to start being mindful of that when I'm delivering a keynote because I know there's people in multiple countries that I can't see. I don't know what they look like. So I can't just assume everyone understands certain words or certain ex- expressions the same way. That's, that's very enlightening. So thank you for that teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me around. I know that we were talking a little bit about confidence and how confidence and creativity tied together. What can you share with us around that topic? That's a really interesting one too in terms of that goes back to like a lot of the challenges that we find in our society, like especially the societies that we live in here in America and around the Western world, which are tied to like a reductionist kind of understanding. So reductionism being like drilling down, always down to back into the self, back to the individual, back to the, back to me, me. And it's always me comparing myself with everybody else and that's how we get understanding of ourselves and that just destroys us and creates anxiety and creates stress, right? Go back to what I was talking about before in terms of what is creativity. It's a collective experience, right? And so when it's a collective experience, when it flows, right, this collective experience flows, so not flow of individuals, 
but the collective flow, right, so that's part of the role of the, of the work that we do is creating those kind of spaces, creating those kind of spaces in the workshops or, or how might we, like, when, when you reduce hierarchy essentially and there's techniques and processes and ways we do it to actually get everyone to feel like they are equally as important in that team as everyone else. And that team might contain the CEO or the head of the school or the, and it also might contain a child of the age of six who's starting school for the first day or your first day at work or whatever. It doesn't matter. How do you create an environment where there is no hierarchy? And no hierarchy environment is an environment where it, which is hyper, super connected where everybody finds their place. And so then the confidence that you're getting is flowing from the collective or it's flowing from the team. It's not flowing back to me going, oh, I better need, I need to say something to be important here or oh, I haven't said anything for like the last 30 minutes but they'll think, they'll think I'm stupid or whatever it is. It's just it's not in that place. It's a challenging thing to do but when you do get to that place, that collective flow is where creativity and emergence just bursts all over the place. You know what, for me, what I just heard was I heard you describing a startup mentality versus a large corporation, Mm -hmm. 50 years in existence in corporate America, a complete flip. Yeah, well, corporate America, like for the last however many years, has been based on the sort of military system, which is like, which is like a totally hierarchical system, right? But like this mentality is changing, and so we start talking about like an agile culture, right? An agile culture, and so the word agile is sweeping through corporate America because agile is it's it can't it, it draws from the same theoretical basis of what I'm talking about, which is complexity versus reductionism. And agile is relatively easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier to do in startups, right? But corporate is now identifying it and going, oh, what's happening here? And what Agile is actually doing is it's flowing, this creativity flowing, it's emerging all over the place. And so a lot of corporate are trying to move to an Agile culture, but it is super, super difficult. And it's not super difficult because of the size, it's super difficult because of the mindset that they have originally formed themselves in, which is a mindset of reductionism. And that is super challenging to change. It's possible, but like that's what we're trying to change systemically around the world when we're working with when we work with governments on in, in education. That's what we're trying to change. How do you systemically change hierarchical cultures to one that embrace complexity and embrace non-hierarchy? Have you ever run into an impasse? Have you ever worked with a company, an academic institution, whoever, where you got to a place and you said, you're just not willing to change. This isn't going to work. <laughs> don't you want me to be super vulnerable, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely I have. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I love that question. That's a super interesting question because I don't believe that it'll ever get, this is just not going to work. But I have hit situations where the trust fell off and it's very easy to just revert back to what you know. Let's just go back to what we know because, like, this can be very vulnerable stuff to go through, especially for large organisations like and I've watched other people trying to, like, make cultural change at large organisational scale, and it's very easy for us to just go, actually, you know what, I, I just want to be the boss and tell everyone what to do. I just want to do that like because I, I know I know how to do I know that. how to do that. Yeah, 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 and I know how to exist in that environment, and I know that identity. That's really what this is about. And so... That's that. Sometimes that's the impasse where they, when you've got them to a position, and it becomes it becomes a little overwhelming because when you're doing this type of work, Heather, I also talk about the stages, the emotional stages that you go through, right? Like, and and, and we're very upfront with all clients and saying, 
you will feel overwhelmed. You'll feel you'll feel states of ambiguity. You'll feel like just what's going on here. Like and but and that's completely okay. And when you get to that, I'm going to guide you through that. And I'm going to even when I tell them that they're going to feel that when they get to that point, they kind of quite often can't see it. And it's my role there to go. You're you're feeling it right now. Are you feeling that right now? Just to get them to identify that and then let them know. It's okay. It's okay. And that's the process of like what I would call immersion or discovery or when it's all just coming, right? And they go, oh, my goodness, this is too overwhelming. And I say, let's embrace this complexity and let's let's get more of it coming. Let's get more of it coming. But then it is also our role to then at, at some point help them to synthesize this down because you can't just let this go out forever because just it'll blow, blow people's minds. So then you synthesize it down. And when you get to the point of synthesis where they might go, oh, that's the problem we're going to work on, right, which is all of this data that you've generated or that they've generated, not you've generated, all this data you've helped them generate. Once you've helped them and taught them how to synthesise it for themselves and they go, oh, that's what we're going to do. And then suddenly the ideas come and then the prototyping comes and then the flow comes. You know, that point of synthesis is quite often I've had, like, been working with senior board members of large corporations, whatever, and people will be in tears. Quite often they're, they, they hit tears and they go, Kind of, I now see the world completely differently, and that's the point of the work we do because it's a mindset shift. So it's, and I don't know that I'm going to articulate this correctly, but this is what came to mind for me. It's not even so much about trusting the people on the team or trusting yourself, but it's almost like trusting that there's something bigger, trusting the universe that you're willing to step into that unknown and start taking this on. Yeah, it's like. Don't believe that what you see here is all that there is. Like, with, there's so much that we can't see. Because this is about theory in terms of if you look at the theory that we exist within, which is like a reductionist theory, it, it actually controls what, you, what what makes it possible for you to see. And I'm not talking physically see. The, the possibilities. You cannot see the possibilities because you can only see what you can see. Like, and so our role, our role is to open up possibility but then also open up process for them to see beyond and that's the trust stuff it's like and when they get to that point and then they can suddenly see things that they could not previously see be that new product be that new business models be that new ways of learning be that new whatever it is it doesn't matter right but when they can see that what they're really seeing just taught them a different way of connecting with humanity that allows them to go oh this all exists and I never knew about it. <laughs> That's the exciting stuff. Wow. That's, I mean, that is, it's huge. So people are listening right now. They own companies, are part of companies. What does it look like to engage you and your team? How does that work? We do have like set products and processes. Like we work with companies on strategy or like developing agile approaches to strategy or agile approaches to working or understanding your values, understanding who you are, like, you know, these, these kind of things. But essentially what normally happens is we'll get approached and quite often because they're not really sure why they're approaching us to, like they just have this feeling, like which is really interesting too. And then, and then it's a matter of like just spending a lot of time with them and talking it through. What are you like understanding the objectives? What are they trying to achieve? Or designing like processes to help them, which is that's one of the most enjoyable parts of our work, but also one of the most challenging parts of the work in terms of not assuming that like, hey, I just roll this process with these guys down the road. It'll work with you as well, you know. Like no, because that's also. We need to model what we're talking about, which is we need to connect with the organisations that we connect that we are working with, because that's it's really high touch, and re- that's also the part that I love because you get to connect with these people, you get to connect with these organisations, with these schools, and you get to go on this journey with them. Where, like, you know, I've got so many like um, organisations and schools where they go, kind of, you just see like what just happened, like you know, you've been on like a twelve month or two year journey, and they are 
mind blown at what's going on in their organisation because they've gone through this journey with you. And, you know, so many times they'll call you up and I said, like, you know, it's just great. Like it's really enjoyable work. <laughs> really. You can tell really you passionate. can tell that you love it so much and it's so great to see. How how long does this process take before you start seeing some big transformations? It really varies, like really varies in, in terms of like what they're what they're trying to achieve, what people are trying to achieve. With the stuff that I was talking to you about with, in regards to schools, like helping them through this COVID period, like the, the process and product that we developed for that. You can see transformation after like a one one day, like you can actually see it. Like, or you can see you can start seeing transformation after one hour because we've so so behind what we do. But and often, quite often time they'll go, oh right, now we want more of this, and now we want more of that. And so, it, what type of transformation? Like, if you're talking full organisational transformation, that also depends on the size. It depends on how ingrained they are, how passionate they are, all of that sort of stuff. It, it changes, but you know, we do, we do work that goes from one days with organisations to. I've been we've been work, working with some clients for like three and a half years. Wow! I mean, the work that you're doing is amazing. It's making the world a better place, and I love that you're bringing people together. How can everybody find you, Dr. Kynan? The website's www.enrusk.com. E N R U S K dot com. You can also Google my name, Kynan Robinson, K Y N A N. I think my parents made this name up so there's only like two of us me and some other this this is one other kind of robinson in the world well i highly (laughs) encourage everybody to check out check out dr kynan's website see if this is a fit for you because the world world needs more connectivity the world needs more creativity and thank you for the work that you're doing dr kynan i appreciate you being here thank you Heather. okay until next week keep creating your confidence you know we will be Come on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about. Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential don't believe me i'm gonna go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too you have helped me so much these last few weeks i was with a narcissist for two years she drove me to the point i wanted to take my own life listening to you has made a massive difference and now i know what i'm with thank you rebecca now the recovery Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life, Emma. 
35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.